As entrepreneurs and business leaders, part of our job is to be visible. Well, we get to ask Dr. Risi about everything from SEO to social media to PR to ads to business communications. She answers it all. And best of all, Dr. Risi is a what are you waiting for? Start crossing out things on your bucket list already kind of person. So you're definitely going to enjoy this conversation and get tons of tips. So stay tuned. Welcome to Reinventing Perspectives. Today we have a very, very exciting guest. We have Marissa Schwartz, and she is the founder and CEO of Dr. Reese's Writing and Marketing. And she's also the founder of Gen Z Publishing. Marissa, we're so grateful to have you on. Please introduce yourself to our guests. Yeah. Hi, everyone. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm Marissa. I own uh, Gen Z Publishing, which is an independent book publisher. I own Dr. Rissy's Writing and Marketing. I'm Dr. Rissy. And, uh, you know, we do 360 marketing for uh, authors, uh, medical practitioners, and small businesses. I think we're in for a treat today because we're really going to ask you everything that we need to know. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, Marissa, how did you get started in your journey as an entrepreneur? There are a few places I could trace it back, but probably the most relevant is in high school. Um, my friends were getting jobs at the mall, and they weren't super thrilled with them. And I thought, man, I don't want to do something that I don't enjoy. What do I enjoy doing? And I knew that I enjoyed music and writing, so I wanted to see a way that I could make some money doing that instead of doing something I, I didn't like. So my mother actually wound up finding some freelance websites, and she suggested them to me. And I signed up, and I started freelancing. And uh, it went super well, and I got recommended uh, to another person, to another person. Before I knew it, by the time I graduated high school and then college, I had a freelance business going, and I just kind of morphed that into my businesses that I have now. So I really, um, I worked hard. I, I did lock out by realizing at a young age, hey, I don't just have to, you know, do the regular nine to five or, you know, work a job you don't enjoy route, I can follow my passions and do something that I enjoy. Oh, that's amazing. I mean, I think just the confidence to put yourself out there at such a young age, especially at that age where you're kind of like a little bit nervous about, you know, who you are and all that. So that's really, really amazing. What do you think like really gave you that confidence to say, look, I can be a freelancer and I can charge for what I'm providing? Yeah. Um, my parents, definitely. I, I grew up in my parents' mom and pop carpet shop. So they're small business owners themselves. They're entrepreneurs. So I did see from a young age that it's possible. Although I didn't have the confidence. I, in the back of my head, always thought, well, I'll have to get a job eventually that I don't enjoy. But until then, let me try this. You know, and, and my teachers and advisors didn't help very much either. Well, you know, I had this uh, thriving freelance business in college, my advisor kept saying, yeah, that's a nice little hobby, but when are you going to start your internships? When are you going to get a real job? Like she didn't realize that that was my real job. Um, so I, I think things like that definitely um, are setbacks. People like myself who do want to do something different. Um, but my, thank gosh for my parents for always saying to me, don't worry about what other people say. Is it working for you? Then Then go for it. They sound like amazing people. So that's really great. I saw this on your bio and I said, this is really, really interesting. We're going to have to have you tell us about this. What was it like to break a Guinness World Record and be featured on MTV? Yay! Yeah, so I broke the record for making the world's longest chain of bracelets. Um, I've always loved 
crafty things and uh, making jewelry is definitely one of my favorite ways to be crafty. It was really fun. There, what they don't tell you about Breaking World Record is how much paperwork there is, though. I just mounds and mounds of paperwork. Um, but once I did that, and it took like a year for them to process, they're actually headquartered in the UK. So uh, it was all international uh, shipping of all my proof and paperwork. And uh, yeah, that, that was really, really cool. Really fun. I still have the certificate hanging over my fireplace, like on the mantle. So that was, that was an awesome experience. It was something that I wanted to do from when I was a kid. It was on, uh, you know, my, my version of a bucket list and, uh, I was really excited that I could do it. And then something else on my bucket list was singing on national TV. I grew up with shows like American Idol and dreaming of being on there. So then when I was old enough to audition, I went for this MTV show, which was basically MTV's take on The Voice. Like you're behind a screen, they can't see you, and then you come out and everybody can see you singing. Uh, so I, I did that. It was really neat because it was like that American Isle dream where they were like, you're going to Hollywood. And they gave me the golden ticket and I got to go and sing. And it was awesome. The host was Aaron Bennett, who was from Mean Girls, which is like my favorite movie in the world. Uh, so I got to sing on there. The one downside was uh, probably anybody listening to this has never seen the show. It's called Copycat uh, because it lasted one season on MTV. It was not very critically lauded, but it was super fun to be on it anyway. It's really amazing that you had like the guts to be like, hey, I'm going to give this a try and and got to see what that's like. I mean, it's one of those things that you're probably one of a few on the planet who had that experience. I'm going to jump right into your expertise. People keep talking about how people are going to move away from ads because Facebook ads and the like are becoming so expensive and move back towards SEO. How does one do effective SEO? Yeah. So I like using ads and SEO in conjunction with one another. Um, I do think that, you know, they can work together to create a really great strategy for businesses. But SEO, first off, it's a lot easier than I think a lot of people realize. They hear a, a big word like search engine optimization. And it sounds so complicated. And they think, oh my gosh, how could I ever do this. Um, but really all it is, is just your ranking and thinking of strategic ways to rank for keywords that your audience is searching for. And, you know, the back end is part of it, you know, on your website, making sure those keywords are on there. But another important part of that is social media. If you search for some of the biggest names in the world, like if you search Dwayne, the rock Johnson, who's the top uh, celebrity in the world. The first thing that comes up when you type his name in his first social media account is Twitter. It's not, you know, a, a website with keyword stuff. In it. it is Twitter because Twitter's updated very frequently. So one thing a lot of people don't realize about SEO is that social media is a great tool for it. So if you're posting good content regularly on social media, that's really going to help your SEO. And then, you know, blogging regularly on your own website uh, also really helps and gets you ranked for various keywords. So for example, um, if I wanted to rank for SEO companies in New Jersey, I would write an article this week about uh, how to improve your SEO. And then I would put the keyword SEO companies in New Jersey in that article like three times and make sure it's good quality and it will, it will get ranked. So there are a lot of ways that you could do SEO without being, you know, like an SEO expert. Most of them are a little bit time consuming, but it's usually worth the results. Wow, it's great that you broke it down like that because a lot of times we think, oh, now it means I need an expert. It's this big thing and I don't know how to do it. So thank you for those great tips, Marissa. How can an entrepreneur have a great impact on social media? Since you said that a lot of SEO really has to do with social media, how do you actually make an impact on social media? Do you like a drop in the ocean sometimes when it comes to social media? It comes down to strategy in some ways. Like 
I audit people's social media accounts all the time. And one of the biggest mistakes I see like on Instagram is people are posting and they're only putting like one or two hashtags. And those hashtags, they're either too specific or they're too general. So if you're like posting and you put hashtag, um, you know, love, nobody's going to see it because you are going to drown. But if you're putting a hashtag, like for me, I would put something like Jersey Shore Marketing. Then somebody was searching for marketers in New Jersey, they might find me. So, and I would put that with 29 more keywords or hashtags, usually 30 hashtags on Instagram, two to three hashtags on Twitter, just things to help get you seen. That's one great thing. And then the other is engagement. Everybody always expects people to find them, but where are the people finding others? So if you engage and actually act socially on social media, it does come back to you and people do see you on their for you pages or on their home pages more often. So yeah, my top two ways I would say that are engaging and making sure that you are using enough specific uh, or not too specific hashtags. Uh, when you were saying that, I was just thinking about myself, for instance, and I'm sure I'm not the only one. You know, you post something and for some reason, logic just escapes you. And you're like, well, what hashtag do I use? And you're just like grabbing at hashtags that have nothing to do with what you just posted. And it's great that you say that it's actually logical and, you know, you have to do it in a strategic way. So thank you for that. Sure. Now, you mentioned that you provide a 360 service. What is a 360 service? So it's everything that we've been talking about. So rather than just focusing on SEO or just ads, it's the strategy of using everything. So that's SEO, ads, social media, and PR because of how well they all work hand in hand. So if you post regularly on social media, it's going to help your SEO. If you do podcasts and and uh, blogging, guest blogs and things like that. That's PR. That's helping your SEO and your social media because the backlinks from those appearances and from those websites increase your SEO uh, and also give you great material for your social media. And then the ads are, are fantastic uh, just to promote all of those things. I mean, it depends on the type of ad, but they usually go hand in hand with your PR, SEO and social media. It's interesting that you mentioned PR because a lot of times we don't typically think of PR. And when we do, it's a movie kind of PR. You don't really know if, you know, you need to hire a big firm or if it's something you can do when you're a new entrepreneur. How would you suggest like you approach that if you're maybe a solopreneur and you're thinking, okay, I need to figure out how to do this PR? Yeah. It's not as complicated as people think. Again, it's time consuming. Most of these things are just time consuming, but they're not that difficult. So uh, let's say, for example, you want some PR, you have a new company, that networking on social media, engaging with people, that's where you're going to find them. So uh, when I was starting out, I would go on Twitter and I would look up a small to mid-sized podcast that I could talk on. I found this one called Let's Chat. They were out of Rhode Island. And I just DM them and said, hey, you know, I checked out your podcast. Looks like you talk to a lot of awesome people. You seem awesome. Would you ever be interested in having me on the show? And they were interested. And I was so excited. Like that was the first time I had ever, you know, gotten into PR. Like I didn't know, I didn't know what PR was at that point. So it was exciting. And that's really the easiest way to at least start. Um, what a lot of people make the mistake of doing is writing a press release and then just like paying a service like PR Newswire to send it out. What happens then is your press release just like sits in the mailbox of like, you know, journalists, nobody's going to see that. So actually being proactive, engaging with others is the best way to do it. And that's why I love social media so much because 
because you're killing so many birds with one stone. You can do your PR while you're doing social media. You can do your social media engagement and growth and lead gen, um, your SEO, everything just through engaging on social media the right way. Oh, wow. That's, that's a great take. I'm going to give people a little bit of background before I ask this question, because people are be Dr. Reese, they're trying to figure out, okay, how does this fit into the picture? And you have a PhD in literature and a master's in communication. So you are a doctor. Tips to be a best writer, Dr. Reese, because I know you produce six bestsellers on Amazon. Yeah, there are so many. I, I could fill a book with writing tips, but um, I, I think my favorites, probably the first is show, don't tell. So, you know, if you're writing something, don't tell me that it was raining. Like, don't just say, yeah, it's raining out. Show me, say something like, you know, Sally walked in with her hair drenched and her boots, you know, slippery. And that way people just, okay, they know that it's raining, but you didn't explicitly tell them that it it paints a picture. So that's one of my favorite tips. Another tip that I learned, um, actually, I think my first day in grad school, we had this really sweet professor and somebody asked him, what do we do if we get writer's block? And he said, who do you think you are? And everybody kind of turned around because he was such a nice professor, like, whoa. And he said, what I mean by that is, do you think you're going to produce solid gold every time? No, just write, let whatever comes out, come out and you can always edit it, but you're never going to write perfectly. So don't let your own writer's block uh, or ego that's causing writer's block thinking that you have to write perfectly every time get in the way just write i think those are my two favorite writing tips uh, that i've received over the years i heard this from uh, the 10x challenge with grant cardone and he said that bestseller doesn't mean best written it means best sold (laughs) yeah and i thought to myself i'm sure there are a lot of like really amazing writers out there but then how does a good or great writer become great at selling what they write. He's a hundred percent right with that. And also bestseller. So because of movies and TV, we all have this dreamy look at what it means to be a bestseller. Thanks to Amazon and categories and things, it's easier than ever to become a bestseller. So for example, my one book that's a bestseller is a young adult nonfiction memoir bestseller on Amazon, meaning it's sold number one in that category, but that's, you know, a category. Amazon has some very specific categories. So there are things like that, that authors do to get the bestseller title, you're a bestseller and you sold a lot of books to get that, but it's probably not as difficult as people think it is. It's a lot of work. It is not easy, but it's, you know, not as dreamy, I guess, as, as people might think. Now, the strategy to get there, it's knowing how to do your genre classifications. It's knowing how to get reviews to your book, you know, getting people to review your book, posting on social media regularly, engaging, having a website, having an optimized website. Those are all things that I did and that other authors I work with do to increase their chances of becoming a bestseller and to, to sell books. There's a lot of work that goes into it. Unfortunately, yeah, it's, it's the same thing with music or anything else. It's, it's not always the most talented. It's the people who have the strategy and put in the most behind the scenes work to get their book read. Yeah, that's just how it is. From outside looking in, it looks like you have to have like this massive following before you can leverage that following to become like a bestseller or that kind of, you know, well-known author. Would you say that's right? It helps. It helps a lot. Uh, But I sold books before I had too many followers and I've had clients sell books without having many followers, but it certainly helps. I have an author right now who's a brilliant man. He wrote an amazing book, but he's a senior citizen 
and he's not on social media and it's hindering him because people, when they read a book, they want to know the author. They want to feel like they know the author. Uh, you know, it, it's almost like having a relationship with somebody, a, a literary relationship with an author when you're reading, especially nowadays. People want to know, like, I can't tell you how many times I picked up a book at Barnes Noble. I'm reading at home and I go, man, I need to write to this author. I'm really feeling what she's writing. And I'll just tweet to her and go, hey, I'm reading your book and I love it. And it's just so cool. And she writes back and, you know, just will say something like, oh, I'm so glad a sequel's coming out. You know, it, it's a great thing to nurture that relationship. So it certainly helped. I don't think it's a thousand percent a make or break, but I always do recommend having a semblance of uh, a, a decent following and engaging regularly with your audience to get the best results out of your book. That's great value. I've seen people do this with products and I've seen them suggest it with the books, but I don't know what you think. They say, once you get an idea, just put it out there, start selling before you even have the book. Is that the way that you should approach it in terms of strategy? Or That's never how I've done it. Um, I know a lot of people, they do really long pre-orders too, which can have its place. I have a client right now who he is gathering reviewers. He's having a bunch of people review his book before the launch. That's a great strategy, but you know, it depends on how far ahead, you know, you're, you're promoting it. I think some people, they just kind of procrastinate by doing that where it's like, yeah, there'll be a book someday. Um, I usually wouldn't recommend announcing your book and talking about your book in depth until about three months before pre-release. That's a great rule of thumb. Since we're talking about communication and a lot of our audience is early entrepreneurs, like what are some of the strategies for communication as a business leader that you would suggest? Like I'm thinking in terms of things like keeping your team motivated and et cetera. So I have a team of 28 people who regularly work with me and then about 10 contractors come in and out. We have regular meetings. So like Every other week, um, each team meets. But more than that, we have chats. So we use this thing called Twist, which is a lot like Slack. It's a, a direct messaging platform. And then you also have group chats uh, organized by topic. Um, that's really, really helpful because we are remote. And we have different threads. Like, of course, our clients are on the road. Then we have fun ones. Like, uh, you know, we do game nights. We, I had an art teacher come in and uh, teach us how to draw live on Zoom. We do a lot of fun things like that. So yeah, I, I, oh, and we also use Asana to keep us organized, which is, um, we use everything from Basecamp to uh, Trello to, uh, I'll try to think, that's not Zoho. I think it is Zoho. We, we've used so many different platforms, but now we're on Asana and uh, it's keeping us organized, so. That's great that so many people can work remotely together and it can work efficiently. Absolutely. Yeah. So what would you say is the key? Would you say the key is to get the right software or? Um, the- it's not even so much the right software as is, I think, the right kind of folks working with you because the software definitely helps, but the, the people working on it need to be motivated enough to use it. So, and I, I also, I'm not a big fan when you're hiring people in big, long interview processes because it's like judging a fish by its ability to fly. I mean, just mm-hmm. because somebody's, able to speak well in interviews, unless it's a a position where they're going to be speaking on the phone, that doesn't indicate too much about their essence. So I usually like to do paid tests. Um, You know, I'll talk to them for like 15 minutes on the phone while I'm interviewing them, but then, you know, I'll give them like, Hey, can you write an article, you know, paid article and we'll test out how well we work together. That's how I found uh, the best way to figure out if somebody's a good match for you. That's a really great tip. And that's a great way of doing it. Like you said, people kind of train for interviews. And it's, it's, yeah. I mean, it's just part of the way 
people have been educated and the way we've been educated anyway. What are some essentials for sales communications that you would say? Lead nurturing emails are great uh, as long as you have permission. So uh, essentially, you know, you have your newsletter nurturing, but I think the biggest is follow-ups. Something I stress to every single one of our salespeople is follow up. Probably about 85% of our clients um, aren't signed the first time we talk to them. We have to follow up, you know, so you talk to them, you send them a proposal, they have that proposal, then you follow up with them, uh, whether it's a text, an email, a phone call, always uh, follow up. Don't be too pushy. There are companies who just call every single day and it's so annoying and then you block their number. I'm not saying to be <laughs> annoying like that, but I am saying to be courteous enough that, you know, if the client says, hey, give me a week to think about and I'll come back to you. And then a week come, goes by, you don't hear from them. It's okay to reach out to them eight days later and say, hey, you know, Mr. Johnson just wanted to check in with you. Hope all is well. I'm happy to hop on a call to go over that proposal. A lot of the time they appreciate that and then talk to you um, mm-hmm. about it. That's true. Because a lot of times you're like, can you call me in a week? And you genuinely are really kind of busy at that moment in time and nobody ever calls you back. So exactly. is it about a certain type of text that converts or what is the secret or the key to communications with potential customers that really brings them on board to be your client? Yeah. So there are a few things. The first, yeah, you should definitely have text that is appealing to their emotions. Text that's going to get them to want to act. You need to have a strong call to action. Um, But more than that, you need to know your audience and optimize your ads to reach them. So, uh, you know, if I have a product that is targeted towards uh, professional speakers, I need to make sure that my backend targeting is targeting professional speakers or, you know, people in the entertainment industry, if I'm targeting farmers, it, you know, it's, it's not going to perform well. I could write the most beautiful prose, but if it's reaching the wrong people, it's not going to perform. Mm. Now, where do entrepreneurs often go wrong or make mistakes in sales communications that you often see? Uh, the not following up is the number one, I think, but number two is not caring enough about the client. I interviewed somebody last week to do some work for me. And she got on the phone and we're talking and I was hiring her to help with my personal social media. Um, I'm on TikTok now. I get about 5 million views a month. So I was looking for somebody to assist with that. So we're talking and she asked a really obvious question. She said something like, oh, so so you have a a lot of TikTok followers? And I said, yeah. um, Have you seen my channel? And she said, no, I haven't seen your channel. And I'm just like, my mind was blown. I'm like, you're applying for a job to help me with my TikTok. You haven't even taken two minutes mm. to look at my TikTok. And she was trying to sell me your services. So I politely said, okay, our conversation is done here because it showed me she doesn't care enough about the client. And I make sure whenever I'm going to talk to one of our clients, I do my research into them. I look at their website, I look at their social media, and then I'm able to offer them specific things that I can do for them. And I, I give them that value. And then they see, wow, A, she knows what she's talking about. B, she really cares. So I, I think that that's where a lot of people go wrong, that they just, they don't put in the extra two minutes uh, to do the research and help their clients the way they should. It's interesting now that you talked about you being on TikTok. I don't know. I feel like TikTok is a place for a lot of fun, but also it seems like it's a great place to get leads. Would you say that is for every kind of business or is it for only certain kind of like maybe personal brand kind of businesses? Okay. So TikTok 
is so cool. I, TikTok is what Instagram was five years ago because you have that real organic reach. I have seen people sell products on TikTok. I know even for myself, I talked about this DVD organizing case and that company sold so many of them just because it was this cool like video and it showed like how it works and stuff. And people thought, oh my gosh, it's so cool. So products like that, gadgets like that, those probably do the best. Anything that's making people make their lives easier and that's like a, just a nifty gadget, that probably does the best. But I've also hired people from TikTok. Um, I hired a marketing consultant to come in and work with us. I found him on TikTok. Uh, so it's great for like networking like that, like that B2B. There are basically communities for everything on TikTok. So I have a client who uh, he does bodybuilding and he trains people. And I said, oh my gosh, you need to be on TikTok. Um, there are audiences for that, you know, for fitness. Um, one of my favorite TikTokers, she's a Zumba instructor and I watch her Zumba routines every day on TikTok. It's so fun. So yeah, pretty much any community or business you can imagine, there's a place for it on TikTok. There are a ton of investors, a ton of medical doctors, lawyers. I've seen them all. Wow. Well, I don't think I'm the only one who had this impression that TikTok was kind of fun. And if you felt like your business wasn't really fun, then it didn't belong. So really, thank you for that. Uh, They say that um, an entrepreneur should always have the elevator pitch ready. How should one approach kind of pitching a, a business idea? I think making it as concise and easy to understand as possible. A confused person doesn't respond, you know, so I I do a lot of networking where if I meet somebody and sometimes they'll use just this really flowery language to describe their business and you just kind of zone out, they'll use big names. Like SEO is, is one where it always frustrates me because they use big names like meta tags and all these things like that. And I'm like, if they just said it in a more simple way, people would understand it so much better. And I think the same thing goes for people when they talk about their businesses. So the simpler, the better. Don't confuse people. Don't think that you have to use big words and flowery language to get your point across or make yourself sound more professional. Write it in eighth grade English, right? And and that way there's no confusion and you can still get your point across. Very great tip because I don't know, we almost trick ourselves to think that if it sounds complicated, then maybe it sounds more impressive. But yeah. like you said, you can get to the point of like complicated to confusion while you're trying to sound impressive. I love reading your bio because it sounds like you're a person who really goes after the dream. So manifesting is one of the biggest trending topics right now on social media. Uh, So I don't want to call it that because I I don't think manifesting is necessarily real. I think what it is is people having a positive attitude and thinking that they can do it and going for it instead of being scared. So I will say it's that positive attitude. My father raised me by saying, what's the worst that could happen? So you go for your dream. You don't get it. Well, at least you went for it. Um, so I think it's it's that always having that back of my head. What's the worst that could happen? What's the best that could happen? The worst that could happen is eh, it doesn't work out. The best that could happen is it does work out. So I usually go into everything with that mindset. That's a really great mindset to have because, you know, we can get so stuck with being afraid to get something wrong that we never actually ever do anything. You said manifesting is like a big deal online right now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I just keep seeing on TikTok everywhere, people talking about, here's how to manifest your dreams, write down your goal. And I swear tomorrow you'll get it. And it's like, all right, come on now. (laughs) You know, Uh, They were saying some silly things like write down that you'll get $500 tomorrow and and you'll get it tomorrow. Like silly things like that. It's like, okay, don't prey on the hopes and dreams of people. Just tell them work hard and yeah, you can have that $500 tomorrow. Yes. All right. What are like some of the biggest lessons that you've learned in your own entrepreneurship journey that you would say, if you're going to tell someone who's starting out, these are two, three key things. 
not to give up, that something is going to go wrong in your business every single day. My father told me that when I first started out, he said, there's going to be something that isn't perfect every single day that you're going to have to deal with. And my gosh, was he right? So just expect that it's not all going to go smoothly all the time. Go with it. And then the second would be to realize that you don't just have to think outside the box. You have to realize that there is no box, meaning, you know, just because somebody has done something one way or you've done something one way for a while or everybody does something a certain way all the time doesn't mean that it always has to be done that way. You can do things differently if you see a purpose for it. That's a really great one. Now, Marissa, I always ask our guests to give us one book that they would recommend to an early entrepreneur, maybe something that you've read that you felt like really changed the game for you. Yeah, I read business books every week still. I think my favorite recent one was Tim Ferriss's Tools for Titans, uh, just because he interviews hundreds of celebrities, entrepreneurs, uh, inspiring people. And they all give their own tips and advice. And it's written out so well. And I just, I love it. So I like that. I get to hear so many voices in that book. So that's probably a book that I would recommend most to read and to gift to really anybody. I think anybody uh, with an entrepreneurial spirit could appreciate that book. Thank you for that recommendation. Just an observation. You just seem like so lighthearted. Your energy is just so good. And I'm thinking you're like running 20 people and it's remote. How do you deal with just like the stress of entrepreneurship? Yeah, there is a lot of stress. I do yoga regularly. Uh, I vent to my father regularly. My father is, if you think I'm calm, he is the most level-headed, calm person. He's amazing because his doors are always open. So I talk to him. I also, I do trust my team and I'm very open with them and talk to them about any issues that arise or anything like that. I also, you know, I get to work from home. My puppies are sitting next to me right now. Like that's, there's an inherent just calmness and ease about that being your home. So yeah. Has faith meant to you on your journey? Oh my gosh, everything. Um, Without faith or hope, I wouldn't have been able to do any of this. I have always had the inherent belief that this will work out, that I can do whatever I put my mind to, and my team can do whatever we put our minds to. So faith really is everything. Without faith or hope, I I don't think people would have the motivation to do anything. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well, thank you so much for all the great tips. If our audience, you can go to www.drreceivewriting.com. That's one word. Thank you so much, Marissa. And how can our audience connect with you best? Yeah. So on social media, I'm everywhere under my name, Marissa Schwartz and Dr. Rissy. Uh, if you Google Marissa Schwartz or Dr. Rissy, you'll find me. Twitter and TikToks will probably be the first things that come up. So yeah. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. If you got any value out of today's episode, please do leave a review. Let us know how we can serve you better and let us know what kind of guests you'd like us to bring on and what exactly it is that you'd like to know. Also connect with us on Instagram at Reinventing Perspectives or visit our website www.reinventingperspectives.com where you can grab a free preview of our latest book, The Christian Entrepreneur's Toolkit. Thank you so much for listening in. We absolutely value your time and we value your input. Have a great day.